So over the last couple of days, we finally hit the, the mid nineties in our temperature. Uh, my wife and I, we finally gave in, turned on the AC, uh, probably for good this summer. Uh, and it's really nice. Makes you thankful for the AC for a refrigerator where you can just go and get a cup of ice and a cold drink. But before the invention of the refrigerator, we depended on ice houses to keep our cool. Now an ice house, um, was built with thick insulated walls, um, had no windows, would have a tightly fitting door, and, and they were big enough to hold many tons of ice. They were usually built near a river or a lake where you had good access to water. And during the wintertime, they would cut out large blocks of ice, and they'd be stored in the ice house, and then they would cover them with sawdust or straw to further insulate them. Well, James Hamilton tells the story of a man who worked at an ice house. And one day while he was working, he, he lost his precious watch. And he looked all over for this watch, even got all of his coworkers to help him look. They even raked through all the sawdust, but they couldn't find his watch. And so finally they gave up in vain. Uh, well, nearby, there was a young boy who'd been playing. Um, and I guess he overheard uh, this tale of the lost watch and the futile search. And so he sneaks into the ice house uh, during the lunch hour and then quickly emerges with the watch. And all the guys are amazed. Like, how did you find the watch so quickly? And he says, well, I went in and I closed the door and I laid down in the sawdust and I was very still and I just listened. And then soon I heard the watch ticking. You can almost imagine him there, just laying there and tick, 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 tick. You see, the question is not, is God speaking? The question really is, are we listening? Now, there are a lot of activities that are conducive to, to listening, to, to better hear the voice of God, reading the scripture, meditating on his word. Um, solitude and silence, just simple fellowship and conversation with brothers and sisters in Christ uh, about scripture, about the things of God, um, watching a beautiful sunrise, uh, a beautiful uh, scenery in the, the mountaintops, the ocean, a uh, uh, rainbow after a thunderstorm, listening to good music. However, there are a few things that are essential to hearing God's voice. And, and I want to talk about those in this message. And this is the, the second of, of two parts. So if you missed the first part, go back and, and listen to the first. But the most essential practice when it comes to listening to God is hearing him through his word, because scripture is the primary language in which God speaks. You want to recognize his voice? Well, you, you've got to know his native tongue, if you will, and that's, that's scripture. Now, I think it's a mistake. I, I think people go too far when they say that scripture is the only uh, means through which God speaks. Um, one of the things we talked about last week is that throughout biblical history, God spoke 
in a whole variety of ways, some of them weird, some of them wonderful, everything from angels and dreams and visions to burning bushes and talking donkeys. So I, I think it's a real mistake to, to put God in a box and say, well, he can't use any different means today, only, only this one. However, that being said, scripture is called God's word for a reason, because it's his word, right? his revelation, his will revealed to us. And I believe it is the primary means through which God speaks into our lives. Now, toward the end of Ephesians, the apostle Paul tells us to, to put on the full armor of God, you know, and he, he kind of goes through this full arsenal of, of our spiritual armor and he gets to the word of God, and he calls it the sword of the spirit. And interestingly, it is the only piece of offensive weaponry in, in our kit. And that's a key thing. Similarly, in Hebrews 4.12, it tells us that scripture is sharper than any two-edged sword. Right? And, and this isn't just a blunt instrument for hacking and whacking. It, it, it's, it's a finely sharpened surgical piece of equipment, almost like a scalpel, because Hebrews 4.12 says that, that it can divide joints from marrow, you know, like you could dissect the different parts of a bone and the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And so God's word can speak to us to the, to the deepest part of our being in the depths of our heart. We cannot claim that we want to hear from God. We want to hear his voice while we're ignoring his word. If we're not spending quality time in the scriptures, we're never going to be able to hear him on a, on a regular, consistent basis. This is why Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture, all of it is God-breathed. It's inspired by him, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, if the only time that you have a diet of God's word is on a Sunday morning or uh, just a single podcast that you listen to, you're probably not going to hear God's voice the rest of the week. Right? Knowing his word is what helps us recognize his voice. It's the native language he speaks. It's how we're able to discern his voice from our own inner voice, our own selfish desires, or the, the deceptive lies of the evil one. Now, if we want to hear God through his word, it's more than just reading it, right? It's more than just knowing it in our head. It, it's knowing it in our hearts. It's applying it to our lives. In a word, it requires meditation. Now, maybe meditation is a word that intimidates you a bit. Maybe you think it's a little weird. Maybe you think it's only for super spiritual people and that's not you. Um, or we think it's, well, isn't that something Buddhists or Hindus do? And sure, there are a lot of world religions that, that practice some form of meditation, right? but they also eat breakfast. But that doesn't keep us from enjoying bacon and eggs. 
Here's the reality. Everyone meditates, whether they know it or not. Meditation is simply when we focus our minds with some intensity and duration over a particular thought or idea, right? So some people focus their minds on their favorite sport, their favorite team, or they're meditating on their favorite hobby, or they're just constantly ruminating over something in the news or politics, or the company memo that you received an email at work, and, and now you're just constantly churning over what does this mean for the future of my job? Or maybe it's this great band that you've heard on Spotify, and you're, you're looking up all their music, they're listening to their back catalog, learning all you can about them. So the question is not if you will meditate, but on what will you meditate? You could spend hours ruminating on all sorts of things, but how much do you really meditate on God's word? Now, Psalm 119, it's, it's the longest chapter in the whole Bible. And the whole thing, it, it's a poem that speaks of the wonders of God's word. And in the original Hebrew language, it's an acrostic that begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet all the way down. And so it's this A to Z listing of, of the wonders and beauty of God's word. And it uses the word meditate eight times. Just check out verses 97, 98, and 99. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. Now, this isn't because the psalmist is spending all day at a Bible study, but look at it this way. You've got your stovetop and you've got different things cooking at the same time. But over here on this back burner, you've got this saucepan with this special dish that's just set on a simmer, all right? And that's kind of your knowledge of God's word and the scriptures that you've read and the scripture that you've studied. And it's there just kind of constantly simmering. And it's like the sauce that you can drizzle over everything else you do in your life. And so like, like well, how does this truth apply to this decision? Right, how does this teaching uh, help me navigate this relationship? Uh, that, that's how you meditate on God's word all day long. But hearing God speak to us through his word also involves whatever steps that we take to, to focus our minds and prepare our hearts to listen. Let me ask you this question. When you're in your car and you're looking for a brand new address, do you ever turn down the radio so you can see better? I like to tease my wife about it because it's usually my music she's turning down. But, you know, it's something that we all do. She does it. I even do it sometimes, and we do it for good reason. From a medical perspective, it is to reduce our cognitive load, the amount of incoming data into our brains so that we are able to pay better attention to what we're doing and make better split second decisions, you know, so we're not slamming on the brakes and turning at the last second and causing a, an accident behind us. 
Well, I think the same thing is true spiritually, except it's not just our cognitive load we need to reduce. It's the spiritual load. All right, we need to reduce the amount of just the noise and the chaos entering our hearts and minds so that we can better hear the voice of God and pay more attention to him. Now, I talked quite a bit about this recently in one of my greater than sermons, so I'm not going to revisit it here in detail other than to say this. It can be very helpful to set aside some time to just listen to God through his word, right? You, blank space on your calendar, a Bible, maybe a notebook, and a pen. That's it. And have a sacred space, right? A place dedicated, free of distraction, a place that maybe has some beauty that, that, that will help you focus, create the right atmosphere, set the right mood, maybe someplace outside, maybe just something place in your house without pets, without kids, without TV, without notifications on your phone, so you can better hear God through his word. Now, secondly, we can hear God through his spirit. Right? God speaks to us through his Holy Spirit in our lives. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a baptized believer, you have the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within you. Acts 2.38 makes this promise. God, speaking through Peter, says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. So if you believe, if you've repented of your sins, if you've been baptized, you have God's Spirit living in you. And this is a, a unique and essential part of our relationship with Him, right? This is why we don't have to rely on getting text messages or emails from God, because God's Spirit resides within us, and we can relate directly to God through Him. Paul says in Romans 8, 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, right? So we are his children. You are his son or daughter. And a part of that father-child relationship is his spirits leading in our lives. Now, this is an area that either overly fascinates some Christians, right, because there's this certain mystical quality, there's this sense of spiritual power, or it intimidates other Christians, um, maybe because they haven't really felt God speaking to them through his spirit. They haven't really sensed his leading, and so they feel either a little left out or a little less than, and so they shy away from this area. Also, this seems to be the, the, the one area of hearing from God that is the most prone to abuse, right? People can say or do anything with this justification. Well, God told me to do this. The Spirit led me to do that, right? And you can't argue with that, even if it's the dumbest thing that anyone has ever done, something that, that, that's patently obvious that that, that that was the wrong thing to do, something that goes against Scripture. But no, they said God told me to do it, so argument over. Now, what I covered last week were some, some cautions and, and, and context and clarity 
to give some guardrails on this whole subject of hearing from God. And, and so those are some important caveats. If you missed last week's message, go back and listen to it online because it really helps understand this. But, but the, the, the two guardrails that I talked about on this subject that I think are so important here, number one is that scripture is the final arbiter of truth. What God says in his word always trumps anything you think he might have said in your heart. Right? No matter how much you feel it, God's word is the, the objective truth. It's, it's the measure. It's the standard. God will never speak to you personally something that contradicts and conflicts with what he has revealed in the Bible. And that leads right to guardrail number two, which is you and I are always capable of misinterpreting the inner voice of God with our own voice. Our own subjective desires can confuse us. So check out that message if, if you didn't hear it. But even with those two words of caution, that doesn't mean that God doesn't speak to us personally and that we can't hear his voice. Whatever you call it, uh, an inner voice of God, impressions, promptings, a spiritual nudging, the still small voice of God, God can and does speak to his children, and we need to better listen to his voice through the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible contains the complete moral will of God. When it comes to right and wrong um, and, and, and spiritual truth, all right, the scripture is it, all right? It applies to all Christians in all places, in all times, Right? And the Bible doesn't require an addendum. It doesn't need to be updated to version 2.0. Yeah, sometimes we, we update the translations of the language, but we're not updating the content, the meaning. That, that doesn't change. But where we need God to speak to us personally are, are in some of the practical questions and the issues of our application. Like, is God leading me to take a different way home? All right? I mean, 99 times out of 100, I take route A to go home, but I sense a leading, a direction, a pull, a, a thought that just seems to be planted there that I need to take a different way home. Maybe God is trying to protect me from some danger. Perhaps you've had that experience where just out of the blue, you take what would seem like a, a random alternative path because you sensed a leading to do it, and then you discover you just missed out on like a major accident. Or maybe God is placing somebody in your path there, somebody he wants you to help. Or is God leading me to pay for the groceries of the person in front of me in the checkout line at Walmart, and they've just had the cashier take a couple items off of their ticket because they can't afford them. Or maybe just the opposite. The Spirit is kind of giving you a red warning light, like, no, don't help this person. What's the most loving thing that I can say or do for my wife right now after the horrible, no good, awful day she had at work? How can I bring grace and healing to her? Or how do I, how do I best show love to my child and, and show that I'm listening to them? I hear their hurt and yet also provide proper discipline and structure for their lives. 
all right, does God want me to take job A or job B, or am I simply free to choose? All right, these types of questions and more are the times that it can be really helpful for us to be tuned in to God and what he's saying to us through the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 11 and 12, he says, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except for their own spirit, a small s within them, your personal spirit. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except for the spirit, the capital S, spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. All right, so Paul is saying here that, that since we have the spirit, capital S spirit, who lives within us, that we can know and understand the very thoughts of God. That's sobering. That's why he, he continues in this vein and down the line here, down to verse 16, he, he offers this assurance, but we have the mind of Christ, right? It is the spirit of God within us who helps us understand the mind of Christ. Right? And this helps us know the heart of God. So the more that we grow in Christ, the more we understand the mind of Christ, the better we are able to hear his voice. Now, let me be clear. This doesn't mean that God's going to make every decision for you. Right? You don't have to listen for some sort of a inner voice telling you every morning, well, do I put on my left sock first or my right sock? Even in the big decisions. God still expects you to use your brain. He expects you to use um, scripturally informed wisdom, to, to use experience, to use wise counsel, to make good, sound decisions. But there will definitely be times where God says, I want you to go here. I want you to do this, right? Take this job. Don't buy that house. Wait on that purchase. You shouldn't go out with him again. Yes, you need to go and talk to that person. And you're going to get these definite leadings in your life. And you can totally miss these promptings if you are not prepared to hear his voice. If you're not in the habit of listening, his voice can be completely lost in the chaotic noise of the world or just in the tumult of your own thoughts. I, I was reading somebody recently who talked about how they had a hard time sleeping because when they laid down, they turned out their lights, they closed their eyes and everything was quiet. Their own inner voice would not shut up. Right? There are some nights I can feel that intensely. And so, yeah, I've got to be trained to hear his voice. Otherwise, all I'm going to hear is my own. But friend, what I'm talking about here, it isn't a spiritual technique that you can learn. You can't go out and, and buy a book that's going to teach you a methodology to help you better hear his voice. Not that there are books that, that can't help you, but this is what I'm talking about here. It's all about relationship. It just comes from spending time with God. And I'll use marriage as a comparison. After 30 years of marriage, all right, Teresa and I, we have all sorts of ways of communicating simply because we know each other. 
right? We've got um, our own insider language. We have inside jokes that only we get. I can communicate volumes of information to her with just the mention of a name, uh, the recall of an event or an experience that we shared together. You know, I was asking her earlier this week, Kate, what's some of the insider lingo we use, stuff that we only get? And, and I could share some of them with you, but it would mean nothing to you, but it means a lot to us. And we might be sitting down at a table at a restaurant with, with a couple of other couples, I, and just a quick glance across the table can tell me all sorts of things about what she's thinking and what she's expecting from me. Right? And, you know, I, every married guy could tell you that their wife can communicate gigabytes of data with just a look. Right? And that comes from spending a lifetime with her, living with her, and knowing her. Same is true with our relationship with God. The more you grow in your relationship with God, the better you're going to hear his voice, and the more you'll be able to follow it. Another way we can hear God's voice is through our, our conscience. Now, our conscience is a part of the human psyche that registers either guilt, bad, 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 or affirmation, good job, based on the things that we do or say. Now, everyone has a conscience, whether they're Christian or not, but a follower of Jesus who is equipped in the Word, who has the indwelling Holy Spirit, can train their consciences to be sort of a reliable detector for the voice of God. And God can speak to us through our conscience if we've properly trained our conscience to listen for the right things. All right, so think of your conscience as an internal alarm system that kind of lets you know whether you're getting hotter or colder to the voice of God. In Romans 9.1, Paul says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it with the Holy Spirit. All right, so here we have Paul's conscience and the Holy Spirit working in parallel with one another to confirm what Paul is doing. To Timothy, he writes in 1 Timothy 3, 9, they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. So here Paul is saying that, that our conscience can be a good guide that we are staying true to the faith. But the conscience has to be properly trained. It's not a surefire method for knowing God's leading. It is only as accurate as we have trained it to be. You see, they can be skewed away from the truth. They can be calibrated to either better hear the voice of God or to be deaf to it. In 1 Corinthians 8, Paul talks about those. He talks about mature believers and immature believers, uh, those with weak and strong consciences. Um, and how as we mature in our faith, we better train our, our conscience. Uh, we can also do the equivalent of sticking our fingers in our ears and saying, I can't hear you, and ignoring what God says through our conscience. Paul also warns Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.2, such teachings, he's talking about false teachings here, come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They've cauterized their conscience to the truth. And so no, it no longer registers a pang of guilt. 
That's why they can lie with ease. That's why they can speak false stuff without a hint of guilt. I want to talk about one more way that we can hear God speaking to us, and that is through the community of faith. That is through other believers. God uses brothers and sisters in Christ to help us discern his voice. In Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches in Asia Minor, and toward the end of each of these letters, Jesus says this, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, so in Jesus' mind, the voice of Jesus and the voice of the Spirit are one and the same. There's no difference. And what we see here is that the Spirit speaks, that Jesus speaks often in the context of the church, in the context of the body. So if we want to hear what Jesus is saying, if we want to hear what the Spirit is saying, we have to listen in the community. We've got to listen to the church. And I think we see a good example of this in Acts 13. Um, And when the Holy Spirit leads the church in Antioch of Syria. Now, this is a church um, that we talked about this church, I don't know, a week or two ago, um, had a diversity of leadership geographically and racially, um, leaders from all over the place. But this is the church where God first calls Barnabas and Paul to be missionaries. But this call to missions wasn't a private call issued to just Barnabas and Paul. It was a public call that came within the community of faith. Now, Luke doesn't tell us in the book of Acts exactly how the Spirit indicated, hey, I want you to send these two guys but somehow he did. And I find it interesting that the Holy Spirit's leading came in the context of community through the whole body. Now, there's some layers to this. Right? First, as I already said, there's this plurality of godly leaders, men of the word, capable prophets and teachers. Um, and so that helped spur some of this. It also came in the context of a group of believers who were in the middle of worship, prayer, and fasting, all right? You want God's leading? You want to hear God speaking in your life? Those are three things that are good to do right there, worship, prayer, and fasting. And it was out of this community, out of this body experience that God's leading came. And I don't think that's a coincidence or an accident. Uh, Christian community can be integral to God's leading. Now, Hearing the voice of God can be a very intimate and personal experience with our Creator, but it isn't always a private experience. God doesn't save you as a spiritual lone ranger, an isolated island of faith, separate from everyone else, but He saves us into a community of faith, a community that Jesus calls His own body, His bride. We simply call it the church. The Greek word for church is ekklesia, which means those who are called out. So we are called out of the world. We are called into a community, and we are called together into this community. And within this community, there are people who consistently guide you, draw you closer to God's truth, his joy, his love. I'm going to guess you've also got some people in your life that consistently lead you further away from
from those things. And so we need to make time and we need to keep close to those who draw us closer to the voice of God. And God will act in our lives through them. He will speak through them. He will guide through them. Now, one of the warnings I gave last week was that there's always this risk that we can misunderstand our own subjective desires for the voice of God. Well, this is where listening to God through the community can help guard us from this danger. We all need godly friends who can kind of confirm whether or not the voice you're listening to is the voice of God or your own selfish desires. You know, they can call you on the carpet. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of friend that, that, that's the yes man that always tells you what you want to hear, no matter how stupid it is. I bet somebody who loves you enough to tell you the truth, even if you don't like it. That's what I'm talking about. Now, let me wrap this up with a story from the movie, A Beautiful Mind. At the end of the movie, there's a beautiful scene that really illustrates the value of community and hearing the voice of God. It's the story of John Nash. Now, John Nash was a brilliant mind, one of the, the greatest minds um, of the 20th century. The word genius is an understatement. And at a very young age, he won the Nobel Prize. He was a distinguished professor at MIT while he was still in his 20s. But during the height of his career, he suffered a mental breakdown, all right? He suffered delusions of paranoia, had hallucinations, he heard voices, and these never really went away completely. He had to learn over a period of time how to discern from what was really being said by people who were really there and just the imaginary voices of hallucinations. And so toward the end of the movie, there is this scene where, where John Nash comes out of the classroom and he meets this man waiting to speak to him. And it's somebody he's never met before. And the man says to Nash, hey, I've come to talk with you about being awarded the Nobel Prize. But Nash isn't sure if this man is real or not. So he stops one of his students and he says, excuse me, do you see a man standing here? Is he in your line of vision? Is he for real? And when the student says yes, Nash turns to the man and says, okay, I'll listen to you now. Well, in the same way, the community of faith can help us better hear the voice of God. Let me close with the story of Samuel. And this particular story begins with his mom, Hannah. Hannah was a godly woman a wife, but she could not bear children. And this grieved her greatly. And so during her, her annual trips um, to the tabernacle to make sacrifices, she pleaded with God. And she asked God to give her a child. And if he did, she said that she would dedicate this child to his service. And so when she became pregnant with Samuel and had Samuel, she fulfilled that vow. And while he was still a young man, Hannah takes Samuel to, um, to the tabernacle, to the high priest Eli, to raise her child and to train him in the truth of God. And so we come across this scene where, where Samuel is this young boy, and, and Eli is kind of an old man. His eyesight is failing, but, but he still has a sharp mind, especially for the things of God. 
And so Samuel is, is laying down, he's trying to sleep, and he hears somebody calling him, Samuel. And so Samuel gets up, he comes running, he goes into Eli, here I am, you called, what do you need? And Samuel's like, oh, or Eli's like, go back to bed, I'm sleeping, I didn't call you. And then a few minutes later, Samuel, he comes running in, here I am, you called me, no, I didn't call you, go back to bed. And then a third time, Samuel. Well, this time Eli starts getting a clue. Well, maybe God is calling Samuel. And so Eli says, all right, you go back and lay down. And this time, if you hear somebody calling you, say this, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. May that be your prayer. May that be your attitude, your approach, that you can turn to God, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And if you're willing to listen, you're more likely to hear him speak. Thank you. And God bless.